Welcome to Todcast by the Oslo Desk. The Oslo Desk Todd brings diverse perspectives to the table and creates practical content to help people of all backgrounds in Norway to live out their greatest potential. I am your host Helena Tim, and throughout the fourth season, leading together, I will meet people that research and practice the compassionate sense of leadership that focuses on the whole team rather than a single leader. In today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Melanie Coffey. She's a storyteller, certified scrum master, and deeply cares about diversity and making people's voices heard. Melanie has been writing and editing for traditional and digital media platforms for more than 20 years. Currently, she works as a PR and media relations director for Crayon, an IT and innovation firm. What I really got from the sense when we were first talking was the sense of compassionate leadership and um, yeah, meeting you in person. <laughs> that has come across as well. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I was thinking we could start off a bit with your background so that people are yeah, knowing who I'm talking to. Sure. Um, I think uh, basically my, I'm a storyteller. And I've been a storyteller since I can remember. And, um, you know, worked, as you said, for decades <laughs> as a journalist. And um, really finding the commonalities in, with people and, and sharing their stories. And um, so worked for Associated Press for 13 years and then as an independent journalist now. Um, I live in Oslo, Norway. Um, and um, almost two years I've been uh, with Crayon and... Uh, leading their um, communications efforts and it's been such an interesting ride um, because journalism and technology even though they go together but working in the fields are very different and I feel like I've been able to bring some of that storytelling um, and connectivity to my role um, both internally and externally and as it relates to to leadership I think is just demonstrating a a different way of thinking, being, and doing. And um, the other stuff that I'm interested in, obviously, is I'm an Agile enthusiast, a certified Scrum Master, and also a diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is often referred to as DEI, um, mm -hmm. advocate. And I've been a DEI advocate since, um, I think I've been telling stories. You know, it's just as an African-American woman, um, I grew up in Kansas and often, you know, the only uh, brown person in my class. And so just being very aware, a uh, sense of uh, double consciousness, which uh, I turned by W.E.B. Du Bois. And so where you're aware of your culture and another culture and having that double consciousness from an early age and that awareness and having it always being part of my essence and who I am, I think has really lent to some interesting perspective possibly um, into each role that I'm uh, fortunate to be in. Yeah and as we're also going to talk later on about Scrum and diversity and how they might be overlap mm -hmm. that is uh, great that you're mentioning that already. As you were saying you might have been able to have a really unique perspective and I was wondering if you have experienced as a journalist in your current role at Crayon or um, as an editor seen what have been narratives around the topic of leadership what have been trends and has there been a shift and right now maybe in the pandemic 
yeah, what your thoughts are, what kind of leadership is needed in tough times? You know, I that's that's a very interesting uh, viewpoints, and I think it's top of mind for us all right now. Yeah. Um, taking kind of a, a step back a little bit before the pandemic, because it's leadership and the field of le leadership, it's been an evolution, just like everything else, right? And um, I think the biggest shift that I've seen when it comes to leadership has been this push and this shift, more not a push, more of a pull towards the compassionate leadership. We're increasingly becoming aware that the top-down, do-as-I-say approach is ineffective because it's very process-driven. It's slow to change. And with if you're a company that's slow to change, that's a death sentence, right? And so essentially, as technology has helped us democratize information, have access to tools over and over again, there are studies that show how companies with compassionate leadership are more productive, have higher revenues, have higher retention rates, which means fewer risks and costs when it comes to the precious resource of people. It all goes hand in hand when it comes to being successful. So I think when it comes to the evolution of, of leadership and we're shifting more to compassionate leadership, it means providing uh, psychological safety, and which is a uh, term yeah. coined by you know, um, Harvard uh, Business School professor Amy Edmondson, just having the courage, feeling like you have the courage to speak up and uh, speak your mind on your team and without repercussions. And as leaders, it's important that we create an environment to where we have people have psychological safety and they can bring forward um, whatever their concerns or issues are because that's where, when you have that safety, that's where innovation is. Um, it's a fertile ground for innovation. Yeah, and I think this is also where we can really um, also design teams diverse, right? If really different kind of people are um, seen and heard with their stories in that space, or that might be a motive why some people also um, want to bring it into the workplace in that aspect, because they say, well, that's going to make us perform better if we have a di more diverse team, which does not necessarily mean it's inclusive, It's it has that safe space, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I was thinking on that. How um, have you experienced, for example, being a scrum master, having diversity play a role in that as well? Is that more on top of scrum if you think about scrum or is that an inherent part of scrum? I guess we might have to go back a little bit and see then first what what scrum is about yeah. as a methodology. Perhaps you would yeah. like yeah. to speak on that. I certainly can. Um, so I've been an agile enthusiast for 10 years and Agile with a capital A, because um, I think agile and agility is a buzz term. And um, so when I'm speaking about it, I mean more the pure, I realize I'm an agile purist, which I wasn't aware <laughs> that I was until I started noticing people saying that they were agile, but they actually weren't behaving in an actual agile way. Um, so I feel like my The way that I'm able to be agile and do agile, it's easy because it's about um, working together as as a team and creating the most value. And um, taking a bit of a, a bit of a step back, what agility is is it's kind of basically four main things, 
and I'll just be quick so not to bore you, but just to provide a foundation. Yeah, yeah. Is, um, it's based on something called the Agile Manifesto that was made in the late 1990s and developed through the early 2000s. Um, so basically it's individuals and interactions over processes and tools. What that means is we value people and how we work with them over the tools and the rules that uh, we have around the work that we do. And another uh, tenet is working software over comprehensive documentation. And what that means is we value something that we can touch and feel and react to like a product over just talking about it or writing about it. Um, because Does the method then still work for people who work with immaterial things? Mm -hmm. Yep, it's an agile uh, was based in software development. And because IT, you know, the IT department, you know, was getting such a bad rap and people, it was just like, there has to be a better way of working because the style of working before was what's called waterfall, uh, waterfall project management, which means you do all of step one first mm -hmm. and then you move to step two and then you move to step three. And that's based on, it's a, like an assembly line uh, approach and process to work. And it's very and sometimes you might not get to step three because you're so wrapped up in one and two. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. And that's where delays and cost overruns uh, happen. And it's not an efficient way of working. And um, so these people, these leaders in, in their industry came together and said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And because we're all having the same problems. And so they came up with this agile manifesto. And as it's gotten so popular and when properly applied and people have seen the benefits it has grown to beyond software development and to you can do agile and there's personal agility um, in every facet of the organization as well as in every facet of your life we actually use agile methodologies at home um, Ooh, how running, does that work <laughs> yeah <I know. laughs> in like running uh, the business of the family you know when it comes to what we're going to do this week um, what are our priorities uh, where should we put our efforts in and you know transparent and open communication all these things that are at the cornerstones of agile and so yes it most definitely transfers into anything you want it to be it's just about creating value at the earliest um, point possible right so in childhood <laughs> yes exactly yeah. you know okay so all here's all the things that we have to do this week we've got trumpet we've got drums we've got soccer practice yeah and uh, and we have a project due for school okay where can we fit this in and where are our priorities and so being able to track and document that through a little like scrum board at, at home, it helps stay on top of things because, you know, I've got two young boys, well, not so young anymore, 10 and 13, and um, super busy with activities. I think so. that's great to learn. Is that then connected also to, let's say, a certain value set that you think of? Like, because how do I know what my priorities are in that aspect? Do I evaluate that as well in scrum? Yes, you most definitely do. So back to the, the tenants is... Like it's called customer collaboration over contract negotiation. And what that means is in a non-IT sense is, you know, we've all been in business situations where someone's like, this is your job. That's not my job. I'm not going to do this particular task. This is your job. And that creates a lot of finger pointing, mm -hmm. right? Versus through agile, we sit here and think, okay, um, what do we need to do to get the job done? And can let's work together 
at getting to a solution, you know, but in order to be able to have that approach, you do have to have, you know, sit down and kind of do like a gut check within yourself and see and evaluate what is where your priorities are. And there's a difference between your personal priorities and mm-hmm. then something that particularly Scrum values because it's um, it's teams based and what is a priority for the team. And so you have uh, these planning um, meetings and and there's also a bunch of there's a bunch of other little tenants that um, essentially as a team, you agree on what the priorities are and you have clear communication over what your role is in achieving that priority and how you work. I think it's also important to note that not every single thing that you do should be done in an agile way. You know, um, there are some things that need to be done. Like only, only you can fill out your vacation request. You know, there's certain things that yeah. just affect you and that's fine. But we're talking about complex problems that need more than one person involved in a more than one particular skill set to um, get everybody in the same room, virtual or in real life, yeah. um, at the same time, having real-time conversations and interactions, creating value to solve a complex problem. But the simple problems, you can solve those and just be transparent about it. So that's kind of how it how that works. There's a time for Scrum in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, or to use the agility then. And um, does the agility or the scrum process then, is it being implemented into an existing work culture or does it um, create its own work culture? You know, it's interesting. I'd say yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, essentially a big thing for firms has been agile transformations. And for a truly successful agile transformation is to do it at the enterprise level, which means coming from the top. And so it, you know, change when it's across the entire organization, it always is best if it comes from the top and kind of trickles, you know, it permeates throughout the top and the side and the bottom up, you know. Um, but I think that particularly in these times where we've had to like adapt quite quickly due to our way of work due to COVID-19, so we're seeing a huge increase and in people say, okay, well, what is this agile thing? And the workforce is, it's clamoring for a better way of work. You know, the world in a sense kind of stopped turning when COVID came about and it allowed for many, many people to check in with themselves, check in with their priorities, yeah. um, personal and professional and the way that we live, the way that we uh, work And so I think now we're seeing a really great opportunity for businesses to kind of speed up their agile transformations. And so, yes, it does. It should be part of the culture and it has to, for it to be successful. It will be ingrained in the culture. And if the culture of it doesn't already exist, you find your key people that can help build that culture internally. And that's what I think is one of the key tenets to be successful. And how do you bring those people in that have a key f function in it? I think if you're thinking, for example, making efforts towards, towards a more diverse team, for example, like how do you go about that and make it something that is also generally meant? You know, that's a good question. Um, 
one of the things that is a um, diversity, equity, inclusion advocate is with the slowdown, people are, they've been able to uh, have their bubble burst and they're not so busy. And so when a black man is killed by police in the U.S., and they find out, they take the time, they have the time, they actually are taking a minute to breathe and look about at the case. It really struck a chord, George Floyd's murder. And then that's where this Black Lives Matter movement, which was way before, but it really, it really accelerated. So now that people are kind of, they're, they've been awakened, they're paying attention, and there's a lot more interest in uh, increasing the priority of when it comes to DE&I. And the way to do it, I think, there's more than one way to do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, when it comes to being authentic and to do it uh, genuinely is uh, transparency. And, you know, there's a lot of DEI leaders who are, they're honest and they're like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I know I want it to get better and I'm going to make mistakes along the way. Yeah. You know, and so we have to be patient. We have to be compassionate with each other. And um, but again, pulling together to drive a common goal, I think, is we have to keep that in in the forefront and and talking with other people around um, agility and diversity realize that there were commonalities when it comes to like Scrum operationalizes agility and how Scrum and tenants of Scrum and popular or you know best practices when it comes to a good DEI program, they are it overlay really really well. You know three pillars of Scrum is you know inspection where and that's where the team kind of checks their work and assumptions along the way, mm-hmm. and transparency is that the team knows what's going on, including how decisions are made, and everyone has access to the information they need to do their work. Um, and adaption is the team can change direction based on new information and discoveries. So when it comes to you revisit those under the scheme or the, the viewpoint of diversity. And so you've got, you know, inspection. How am I doing? Do I have some isms? I call them isms. Mm-hmm. We all have isms. We, yeah. You know, whether it's racism, if it's based in gender, if it's based, you know, in whatever. We all have isms and kind of being honest with yourself and, you know, recognizing it is, it is human, you know, but we need to be aware of how our isms are affecting other people. Is that more of a personal process that I ask myself that and, uh, or is it something that is also, or where you would encourage to also verbalize that to other people? I think it's both. You might not be the type of person that is very introspective. And so as leaders, we can encourage these kind of thoughts encourage these kinds of uh, conversations in a safe space yeah. and um, help it to come about, help it to come to fruition. You know, I think there's many, many ways to go about it, but um, I just think it's important to have an honest talk with yourself, an honest talk with your team, an honest look at your organization. And that can be something the leader can initiate because mm-hmm. some people might, despite the movements of like Black Lives Matter, like they might have not taken that introspection. So mm-hmm. it could be a team effort, everybody kind of like checking in with themselves first and then perhaps bring that to the table as a team. Yeah. 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 
without, yeah. without question. And, you know, I think, you know, you, you spoke earlier about providing safe spaces and also with the psychological safety, you know, I think being able to be successful and go on a DEI improvement journey <laughs> is um, you have to have those safe spaces to to make so-called mistakes, you know, because we 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 learn so much, but we just have to keep trying and keep um, inspecting and adapting our work, our approach to work, how we view things, how we interact with people. You know, what really do we mean when we say diversity? What really do we mean when we say equity? What really do we mean when we say inclusion? What does it look like? And where are we as an organization? And um, I mean, this is from the premise that people, of course, want to make that change or they want to reflect on those things. Have you also dealt with resistance that uh, and how have you dealt with that? Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, well, I, I think that um, it goes back to meeting people where they're at. Um, for me personally, um, I I'm fortunate enough to where I feel like I can see where other people are coming from and and I'm able to kind of point out some of their behaviors that can be hurtful and offensive. And um, it's not a matter of, you know, a lot of times you get, oh, you're just being too sensitive and, mm. you know, okay, but it's still my my feelings and I just want you to know that when you were as a white person are only talking to me about things in black culture, it feels awkward. It feels weird. I can relate to you and we can have a conversation about things outside of my culture. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And I think again, <laughs> coming about it in a way that's not of judgment, you know, and a lot of the defensiveness is people judging themselves and having that compassion to realize that the awareness To realize that, you know, before you can be a compassionate leader, you have to be aware and you have to have awareness of self and also awareness of how your behavior impacts others. And take a, take a minute, just take a beat <laughs> to step away from the situation and see what this other person, how they're feeling. They very well could be projecting. A lot of times we're projecting and a lot of times it's not it's not about you. Right. So I think when I'm in those situations, I, you know, just take a deep breath mm. and yeah. I really open myself up and I listen and um, I am vulnerable. I make myself vulnerable and it's hard. It hurts. You know, it really hurts. And but I feel like it's for me, it's worth it if I can help someone come along in their journey. Again, meeting people where they're at and you know, I'll meet you, I'll meet you anywhere, you know, just as long as we meet and we can have an honest conversation and we can grow and learn from each other. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think it just stems, you know, as journalists, uh, you know, I met so many amazing and like random people, <laughs> yeah. you know, and like, but there's so many life lessons in each person. I, each person is a gift. I truly believe that. Yeah. And I can learn from, I learn from everyone I meet, you know, and I just try to pay it forward And pay it back by just being honest and and open about uh, my thoughts, feelings, and opinions, and fully recognizing that it's coming from me, and it's not, and my way isn't the best way. It's just how I approach things. 
but you voice it and i think that's the that's the part where also people then can show a reaction to it because mm. if it's not being voiced then there can neither be that resistance nor there can be like that exception or a conversation about it and i think that's that's what's so important about it that it is being voiced yeah yeah and with the spaces now people are are listening i think that's more what we're seeing is we've been speaking for years we've had voices but people yeah. haven't been listening and now they're listening and it's easy again with the democratization of information and technology which i absolutely love because it helps empower people and give a voice to the voiceless which has always been my um, internal compass yeah thank you very much that is such a great motivation also for leadership to think about that in this way to to have to to give the voice to the voiceless or to let them of course speak their own their own in their own voice um thanks so much for having this conversation with me for coming out here meeting me where i am <laughs> in this office and uh, yeah thank you so much oh thank you for having me this is uh, great fun <laughs>